1: while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox & Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox & Hops head. Cheers.
2: Our stage is loud. When When we do these festivals, you can't hear any vocals, you can't hear any guitars, you hear the drums, you might hear a little bit of something because none of these bands have gear on stage. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on that show, you fucking hear us on stage. We're loud as shit because <laughs> that's what we I wanna be in a rock and roll band.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Ben Goodman and I'm here with my cohorts. Siobhan ben? Cronin ben? And- Who's Ben? Aren't you Benny? I don't know a Ben. You've just got 2020 we're with Kevin from Candlebox, which is such a great band, I'm riveted. (laughs) And now for Corey.
3: (laughs) Well, before you pass it off to Corey, Ben has used all of his words in uh, the recording of these episodes. So if you haven't checked out part one, go listen to it with Kevin Martin. This is part two. We get a little bit more into some of his philosophies about music, a little bit more of an opinion episode, more about some of the writing process. may have
4: suggested prior to, to taping part one that he grab a glass of whiskey. And generally that makes part two you know a very uh very open and and lively discussion and that's no different (laughs) in this in this case here
3: so we really got to let loose in this one we're not going to spoil any of the fun this is part
0: two fucking apologize ever
3: it's rock and roll look it up part two with kevin martin All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back for part two with our incredible guest this week. Before I introduce him, I will introduce myself and my cohorts, though. I am Siobhan Cronin, here as always with Benny Goodman and Corey Peza. And back for part two, the incredible Kevin Martin of Candlebox, clearly a scholar in the arena of music. We learned so much in part one. You have to definitely go back, listen to it, like, and subscribe, 2020-d.com. I can't believe that that first episode went by so quickly. We are so (laughs) excited to talk more. We barely got into even the meat and potatoes of everything. So welcome back for part two. Thanks for being with us, putting up with us. Can't wait to dive in.
2: Ah, oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. And are you, so, Cronin, you're, you're not related to Kevin
3: Cronin. I am not. Um, oh. I have my, my backgrounds. Well, Irish, Scottish. My mom's from Scotland. So I'm the first American yeah. of the family. But oh, right on. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Cronin. Midwest. Hey, wait, on,
0: wait, wait. You're, you're, you're not related to Eric Martin from the lead singer, Mr. Big, are you? Because that guy's oh, yeah. voice is fucking so... Are you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: but Cronin... Listen, Cronin, Cronin. is a very, very rare name, and and uh, it's. I mean, it's a musical family. Uh, and you know, I mean, I just thought I'd ask him. You know, <laughs> a yeah, yeah. So. It, it is
3: surprising. Yeah, because I haven't met. I don't think I've met any other Cronins. You know that that I've heard of. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Maybe I should do one at my dot and see right. if there's anyone I'm related to that I don't know <laughs> about.
2: Thirty percent related. Yeah, you might. You might be Kevin Cronin's great. It, niece yeah maybe he is. He's like, he's <laughs> it's like has gotta be 65 or something like you're all wait, that hitler wait, ever possible.
3: wanted oh my god, god. Penn. <laughs> we almost made it through an entire two episodes without an off color joke
4: yeah okay it's, it's, it's bound to happen but anyways steering the conversation back a little bit uh at the end of the last episode we, we know we started just to briefly mention uh the newest Candlebox record uh, wolves and uh, i spent the day today kind of just having a spotify playlist going listening you know through the catalog, reacclimating myself, um, you know obviously everyone knows the big songs that, that have had this incredible staying power for so long, and that's some mm-hmm. of the most recognizable songs that you've heard. So going through some of the newer stuff, it's incredible. Um, and what I noticed, and, and it's one of my favorite things about Candlebox, is that every record, even though they have different sonic characteristics, a little bit of songwriting, it sounds like a band in a room playing, which is one of the most rare things to hear now. On, on especially any radio rock or anything like that, but you can tell that that's uh, you know a real band. There's a connection. It's not a uh, you know piece together uh, quarantine jam sending tracks through the internet like we're familiar with. Right, more recently. But <laughs> like can, our band. <laughs> can, can yeah, exactly. Yeah, I should I should mention that we're in a band I'm called disappointed. Lost Symphony. It's not quantized.
0: Um, I'm disappointed. Yeah.
4: I, I would. I think it would be better if you quantized <laughs> everything. Yeah, we're we're in a band called Lost Symphony. Uh, Remove who, the feel. Who've been. Uh, be, even before lockdown was was a mandated thing, we're uh, we've never been in the same room. Uh, we've, we have members wow. all, all around the world. We've played with people from Japan to Canada, America, everywhere. Marty Friedman's
0: uh, in Japan.
4: Yeah, we've had yeah. we've had a ton of great uh, guest players like like Marty and and Nuno and all these people. So we're we're familiar with like the process of like oh I got some DI tracks from this studio and and, and piecing together an album. But the Candlebox Records have this like really cohesive. Uh, organic feel you know th- throughout the catalog can you talk a little bit about you know what gives you guys that that vibe and, and how important that is to you
2: yeah I, I mean it's like i mentioned earlier you know i don't i don't uh, make records until i'm ready i don't walk around with you know books and books and books of lyrics so what i what i've always kind of fought for with the band is that we record live um we've done it since uh the demo tape uh, the red demo tape, the infamous red demo, demo tape from 1992, uh, up until the Wolves record, um, it is a process that I think is very important um, to the creation of the art um, and the music that you're trying to, um, or the, the, the process and 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 the and the uh, the story that you're trying to tell, if you will. And I think that that only happens when you put yourself in uh, an atmosphere. And maybe I'm, I'm speaking purely from myself, but it, you put yourself in an atmosphere where you are forced to be creative um and you and your and your conversation uh revolves around the creation of that song that is that you're working on it makes you in tune with one another musically um and i've always said you know to the guys in my band from you know from my punk bands when i was you know 12 13 years old till pete and barty and scott and i became a singer is if you can't play my part and everybody else's part in the band, then you're not doing your part. You should be able to mentally be playing everybody else's part when you're performing or when you're writing or recording, because you have to be thinking about how everything else is going to be stacked and where your position is inside of that. Yeah. And and I think that that's one of the things I learned from, I think the, the jazz background of my father um, was that, the reaction and the responsibility of a jazz musician and the reaction, um, uh, rather than, um, uh, I guess, you know, reactionary is not always the best thing, but in music, it, it's very important. Um, because if you don't react to the emotion or to the, to the movement that's happening in that song, everybody's going to recognize it. But when you do react to it, it's magical. And I think that's why, again, why the Seattle music scene was so important and still so regarded and 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 um and um and so influential was because every one of those bands kind of had the same thing i mean they all played different instruments jeff amet wasn't just a bass player chris cornell wasn't just a singer uh kim dale wasn't just a guitar player Every one of those musicians had some other instrument in their life that uh, that helped them to become the musician they are. And when you sit in a room and you're writing a recording, um, if you're not all in that headspace to where I can hear my bass player and I hear what he's doing and I need to react this way to that, you're you're not being a good supportive player in that. You know, so that's yeah. why our records kind of come across the way to do is because we do record live it's imperative to me that we record live. We go in the studio with six of 12 songs. We don't go in with 12 songs. The only time we've ever done that was a debut album. Um, and that was just because we'd been playing together you know, for like six months when we made the demo tape. Yeah. And then another six months. Before we got signed and then we made the the album and we're like okay well we should use you and far behind from the demos because we'll never be able to reproduce those. we tried re-recording them it didn't work so we took the you and far behind from the demo tapes and each by the way those are both one take tracks so that's how good we were as a band before we even made our debut album was is is you know we worked and worked and worked and worked very very hard to to become those musicians and and those creative entities to one another and supportive, uh, you know, actors or characters, if you will, um, to one another musically. So that's why every Candlebox record you have is so different. There there's, I mean, we're the most inconsistent rock and roll band, I think from Seattle. And and it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. Like we never, we never wanted to limit ourselves to our diverse.
4: Don't, you know, you know, diverse, yeah. eclectic. Give yourself a yeah. positive <laughs> adjective on there. Hey,
2: <laughs> I, I was just eclectic. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that's, it's, you know, it's so great. That's,
4: it's yeah, and it, it, that's what made it so fun to kind of to, like I said, you know, spend some time today and go back and listen through, you know, the different errors and the difference, and you know, like there is definitely the like the different. Uh, sonic quality and the different tones and 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 you know everything, but there is a, a cohesiveness of that live band in a room that sounds like candlebox is playing
2: that's that's it, I think. you know, a lot of people say, you know, um, what's your favorite candlebox record? You know, they ask me all the time, i I, I don't really have one, you know, um, because every single record has something on it. Like happy pills to me is is an odd record for us. Um, there are six songs on there i absolutely love and there are five songs on there that i don't even know why we bothered to record um (laughs) then we made into the sun when we got back together in 2006 we made into the sun in 2008 and it's a magical record because we were so hungry to be working together again for happy pills um,
4: just just before we move on from that uh i read somewhere earlier you know that that album had a lot more influence from a production and label standpoint as far as the sound and everything was that is that why there's songs in there that you didn't connect with as much
2: yeah i mean the label was looking at the point uh at that time um i believe um train that's what they're called right uh they had that song um Sweet tell soul, me si- hey, sweet, sweet soul sister or was. Man, oh yeah I, hey soul sister
3: hey, soul yeah soul sister yeah it was
2: like 1997 mm. or something or something ukulele uh, bro <laughs> so the label was like you guys can move into this world because train is like this pop band that's getting venturing into rock but they're still doing pop I was like what are you fucking talking about but <laughs> so we had asked Roger Waters from Pink Floyd to produce the album he said yes Maverick said no he's too old then we <laughs> asked um, Jeff Lynne from ELO to produce a record, yeah. Jeff's like, I would love to work with you. And they're like, Jeff Lynn is hands down one of the greatest songwriters ever in the history of rock and roll music. Um, and the label said, no, he's got, it's not what we're looking for. And then we're like, we got this guy, um, uh, what's his, I don't even remember his name. The guy who produced our record. I hate him so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, <laughs> he, he was an engineer on physical graffiti with Led Zeppelin. And so that's Ron, uh, Ron, Ron Neveson. Neveson yeah so ron empson's like we got this guy ron empson we think it'd be great for you we're like what the fuck? and then of course when we look back at what he had done he had worked with kind of that new pop stuff that was happening so maverick was trying to get us to go into that world of becoming the next kind of train for the label which we're all like it's no fucking way but so ron was he tried and tried tried uh to force us into that kind of pigeonhole so that's why there's five songs on the record i'm like bullshit, Belmore place um uh offerings i mean i could i just like i want to fucking shoot myself for these songs uh but then there's Stone's throw away sometimes happy pills it's all right i mean look what you've done like those songs i'm like that's candlebox to me uh because we we wrote those in the studio like we're we're about to release a box set you guys are going to be the first people to know about this but um nice. it's coming out uh i think in uh 2023 with the 30th anniversary of the debut but it's going to have all those B sides all the demos that we did um on vinyl that um i'm listening to now with you know pete uh our, our guitar players um, doing the executive producing on it so he's going through all the tapes we have and remixing stuff and, st- and i'm like god damn i forgot about this song i forgot about that song five of the stuff that's that's going to be on this box set these are songs that were not included on Happy Bills that are amazing songs because they got cut because it wasn't the vibe of uh, of, of what Maverick wanted. So yes, they were very instrumental in kind of directing that and controlling it. And, and of course, once we found out, we're like, this is bullshit. So.
3: That's interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of people that are getting into music don't realize that that's a thing until they encounter what it's like to work with labels and people that are trying to direct your career. What, what sort of advice would you give to people on staying their ground or staying committed to their vision when they're getting pressure from outside sources on what type of music they should be doing? Like, how do you stay on course in a situation like that?
2: Well, I think you, you have to be honest with yourself. I mean, first of all, if you're, if, if you're concerned about what somebody's telling you to do, then you're in the wrong business. I mean, you know, if you're a musician, you're not supposed to listen to anybody, but your heart. And, and, um, and it will you know, 99.9% of the time, it's, it will tell you where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. Um, and I think Happy Pills is the one time in our career as a band where we allowed that outside influence to kind of find its way in. Um, and and I don't think we were conscious of it until the record was done. Uh, and we realized that we didn't really love the album. Um, we didn't love the mix. We, you know, Ron Nevison was fired uh, in in the mix process, um, you know, by our manager John Reese because he was fighting with us over shit. I mean, it was it was he was really trying to direct what Maverick wanted, it, which at the time we didn't know Maverick was was telling him until we didn't find out until years later that uh, through our manager John that, that that's what they were doing. So he was trying to turn us into train um, for the label because he wanted more work from the label, and um, and we fired him because of it. But yes if you're not being honest with yourself and you're not making the music that you feel you should be making, if you're trying to sound like somebody else, first of all, don't. Right. We have enough, we have enough of that. Um, There's, you know, there's plenty of, if you listen to modern rock radio right now, it's the worst example of of music there is out there. Um, You know, uh, and that's the sound. Can
0: you indulge me in like a historical fiction? So like, (laughs) let's say, let's say Roger Waters. They're like, all right. We'll call him the Zionistic crazy fucking coot because as he's gotten older, they revealed it like, oh, yeah, that guy who made the wall like he's well, first off. Let's just start off by saying he's one of the greatest musicians in Pink Floyd. It's just like maybe the awesomest band. I mean, I, I queen for me, but like Pink Floyd is just so good in so many You're ways. Right and everything. Ev- Everything with Roger Waters was fucking awesome, and he's fucking awesome, and I fucking love him. But he seems like a very hateful, strange, old, curmudgeonly, <laughs> cantankerous human being with a lot of very strange. I'm not sure. I feel good about things to say. What do you think would have happened had you not done Happy Pills the way that you did? And they said, "Yeah, let's get the dude from Big Floyd over with the Candlebox dudes." Like, what, what? What would that? What would that have been like, <laughs> Kevin? I think.
2: I think that the, the record would have been a lot more introspective. Um, you know, one of the things I love about Roger Waters, um, not only his solo stuff, but what he's done with Pink Floyd, but the stuff that he's produced as an artist. Um, he is, um, you know, he comes from that generation where his father was in, uh, you know, uh, World War Two, his grandfather was in World War One. Uh, he comes from a broken family. He's an he's an artist from England. Um, he's a brilliant songwriter. Um, he, he would have Certainly, been all over me when it came to lyrics. Um, he would have been all over the band when it came to their playing. Um, I think that we would have made a record that was um, very introspective um, and and very personal, and probably, I dare say, groundbreaking for a band of our caliber of musicianship. I mean, at the time when we did Happy Pills, um, we had Dave Cruzan from Pearl Jam ten on drums, Pete Klet on guitar. Marty Martin was playing bass. I was now at this point, I was playing guitar uh, and, and not only writing all the lyrics and the melody has been playing guitar as well. And we had a friend of ours, Robbie Allen who was playing guitar. He was a great songwriter from a brand, band called Rob rule. So I think that we would have in, in that process made a record that would have probably been, um, as good as maybe a super unknown or, um, or Alison changed dirt or, um, you know, maybe Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, because we were striving for that as a band and the direction that the label was forcing us with Ron Nevison was not the direction we wanted to go. Now, Happy Pills, sometimes, in A Stone's Throw Away, if you listen to those three songs, you can, you can hear the, the, uh, the, um, the depth of which we're writing as musicians. Those three songs are are my favorite examples of uh, where I felt the band was at our peak as musicians, as writers. The first album's a fluke. I mean, that was just, we got lucky with that record. We wrote Far Behind, we wrote You, we wrote Cover Me, I wrote Blossom, uh, Barty, our bass player, brought Far Behind and You the first day he came to trap out for the band and we turned those into, you know, the biggest hits we've had. But we weren't really great songwriters at that point. We didn't know ourselves. I certainly didn't know myself as a singer I don't even sound like that anymore. I can't even sing far behind like that anymore. It's, that was my first singing game. So wait so. a minute,
0: hon, before my brain loses it, it <laughs> if we had basically had invited Roger Waters and you guys had done a record together in lieu of what had happened, you could have had
4: uh, your pudding and your meat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I apologize for him. I've had to apologize for him in, in several episodes. I know, I got uh, no, that's all amazing. I can think of when I hear Roger Waters. It's like,
0: you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. Yeah, and that's, that's like not, all I, can, I I'm just that's,
2: that's I'm that's fucking with Rodgers, you with that. That's the movie. You know, I mean, that's his whole concept. No, I mean, listen, he, no, he says all, it on the fucking he's, record. He's, Yes, but he's talking about <laughs> what was going on at, in England at the time during World War I. Oh, I, I know there's a deeper meaning to it, but I was it. just huffing. And if you don't you know, eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? So if we were to with like, Roger Waters, it, I probably would have said, you can't have your whiskey unless you have a line of cocaine. You don't have a line of cocaine, and you can't have your whiskey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's like, uh, a fe- it's, a, it's like a feedback <laughs> loop.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know. A I A mean, catch-22.
4: There's yeah. still time for the next Candlebox record. <laughs> oh, my
3: gosh. Well, But this is, speak, speaking get of walls. songwriting. No, but Why would that's... you get walls? What's All wrong right, with ben, that one? We're done with you. Speaking of songwriting, <laughs> you, you mentioned, you know, how you developed kind of as a band, as as songwriters, over the course of your career and over several albums. Can you talk a little bit about the process for you, maybe individually and collectively as a band, you know, writing your first album and, and how it's changed? Like, what is the songwriting process like for you?
2: Uh, it's um it's... <laughs> it's super disjointed uh we are not uh in any way shape or form prolific at all um we go into the studio with like i said earlier about five songs that, that are in in strong structural um working order and then the rest is demos i've, I've gone in with uh vocal uh melodies and uh, you know for my voice memos and said hey i have this thing this is a guitar part but i'm going nah, 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 you know and so the guitar player learns it he goes oh yeah that's cool let's do that so on wolves for example uh the song uh, trip which is basically about my um, love affair with my wife and you know 20 years into our relationship and i'm still as in love with her as i was day one that song's about how she tripped me up when i met her and i was 32 years old and i was, had, had been single for about a year i got divorced a year earlier and my first relationship didn't work out, and I was, you know, kind of running around L.A. and just enjoying the fruits of my labor, if you will. Uh, <laughs> and um, and then this young 21-year-old Australian girl sits down next to me in a club, and we started talking about art and music, and I was just completely... Um, destroyed. I mean, every, I was madly in love with her from, from the minute I met her and, uh, and I still am. So that song trip on this record, um, was this simple little suspicious minds guitar part. Really? It was, just, you know, that ding, 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 it's picking through and it, 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 I didn't have lyrics for the song, but I, it made me, the little dance that's happening with that guitar was just beating my brain into thinking about my wife. And I was like, I have to write this about Natalie. And so that's how it happens. It's, 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 if you, like I'm, I've said it a million times, I think, is if you are allowing yourself to be lost in that moment into the music that you're creating as an artist, you will, you may not produce a lot. I mean, and then there's, you know, brilliantly prolific artists like Billy Joe from Green Day and, and, and Ben Gibbard from, uh, um, from, uh, Death Cab for Cutie and, you know, Jack White. And there's, there's guys like that can just write Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa. I'm not that guy. But I love I Frank do Zappa. Write, uh, everybody That's loves Frank true. Zappa. But when I do write, I am at that point, it is every ounce of my being. And so we work really fast. We only do about two to three days of pre production. Uh, we go directly into the studio, and the conversation is because we, we're live. My microphone's live. Everybody has a microphone and we talk right before we're ready to track. This is what the emotion is. This is what my feelings are. I don't have the lyrics yet. I'm going to be singing melodies that I have and I need you to react off of them. And and we know what we do now. I mean, we know that it's going to be either an eight bar, you know, verse, or maybe it's going to be a four bar intro, eight bar verse, and then it's going to be a, you know, eight bar, four bar pre, and then we're going to the chorus for eight bars. I mean, we know what we do now. So it's, it's easy for us to uh, to to dive into it, but it's very important that everybody in that process, when we're, when we're doing that writing in the studio, what, what I mentioned earlier, when we go in there with the songs that are just a demo, is that everybody's in tune with it and everybody's it, it, it keyed into what the emotion is behind that song. And that's how we write and that's how we work through it. And that's why so- Wolves is, is, you know, I think the best record we've done since the debut album, maybe even better than the debut album, because we're so, I mean, there's there's a point day two when we're recording this record, we were only in the studio for five days where I have a complete meltdown with the band. And I'm like, go home, record's done. We're not doing this. You guys are, are you're nowhere near uh, where we were three days ago when we started pre-production. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but you know, let's, let's just call it a day. Um, and that happens because when one person comes in without that mentality of if we're here to work, produce and create, it throws everything off when you're when you're writing the way we are. Now that doesn't count for everybody else because I don't know how everybody else writes. But when we're doing what we do, and Brian and Island and Adam and, and Dave have been with me now for you know well Adam's been with me for 20 years, Dave's been with me for 20 years, um, 20 plus years. Brian and Island they know what I want. They know how I work. And um, but when one of them comes in without something, it can it could pull that uh, sweater thread and you know, you've
0: all all I think Corey nailed it. Like I I love the, the whole band in a room thing. And now you have, you know, this get back thing with the Beatles and like one of the things that I love about what you just made like me clear about was that like you kind of write like how I've seen the Beatles to write, which is kind of why I love your band from day one. And, is it yeah. interesting? Have you seen that documentary? And is it interesting now to vicariously look on someone like, you know, going, oh, this is God. And, and then it's like totally George writing it through Ringo kind of thing. Like, like, does that happen yeah. to you? Like, do you
2: feel that watching that vicarious? Is it weird for you? It was funny because my wife and I started it and she was like, oh, my God, this is like you guys, because we've been together so long. And that's how we work. We, we will go and lock ourselves into a room. Knowing that it's time to produce something, and Are I have been—I I don't like Paul that much. He's an I, asshole. I am not, but I, he knows what he I wants. I was about to say that I—I have been Paul so many times because, and, and he is an asshole on it. But the thing is, is that he's the one who's there producing these songs. He's—I mean, they're talking over him playing "Let It Be." They're talking him over writing "Get Back." they're uh, he's producing this shit and these guys are like oh man we're like a cigarette i don't know what you're doing but i don't like you i had lunch the other day it was delicious and then you know john lennon waltzes in whenever he fucking wants and paul's like hey i've already written five fucking songs <laughs> but that's the thing i i have been paul and and that's what happened in in the studio during wolves i like i was like fuck this and you know my bass player adam's like well you know in defense of ourselves like in defense of yourselves What the fuck are you talking about? There's no defense. You can't defend yourself right now. We just did two days worth of pre-production going through all this shit. And the fact that you're not sitting here with charts in front of you is bullshit. And I pay these guys. That's the difference. Like, I'm a business, right? So I'm paying them to be there with me. It's not like we're a band right now and, and they're included in everything. These are, you know, I'm the last remaining member of Candlebox. So these guys are hired guns. Now, they've been with me a long, long time, and I love them to death. But I'm like, if you guys want to take on the responsibility of the band, they're like, no, 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 just pay me my yeah. salary. That's cool, you know, because the financial responsibility of everything that happens, making a record, that thirty thousand dollars rests on my shoulders.
4: That's an know? important so, point, yes. and I, sure, I just want to yeah. I want to talk about that real quick because there's a uh, almost a negative connotation of um, like that that kind of division of labor where it's you know you have a, you know someone that's the artist that's kind of controlling and overseeing everything, and there's these guys that are part of the band and they're they're hired guns and they're they're the best at what they do and that's why they're there and you kind of sometimes see like a little bit of like um uh, outside perspective of like oh well there's that asshole singer or whatever that's this one thing the amount of pressure it's you're the ceo of a company that has sh- you know essentially you know it's like shareholders it's it there's so many depths of layers of, of what you do in that position and and i am always happily the hired gun because <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> session i go home i pour my whiskey and i forget about whatever but you know you you are responsible for a lot and and i think that it's important to maybe uh for people listening that to understand that that a band is a business and and to to yeah. be that guy at, at in that position is a lot of pressure
2: it is It is. and you know i mean i even said in the, in the process of you know the, the studio when we had the meltdown i said to the guys i was like. You know I'm a great boss, and I I pay you guys very well, and you get bonused out every tour, and Christmases are great, and I'm a great boss, and I don't want to be this guy right now, and I and I hate that I'm yelling at you, but what the fuck, man? Like I'm not paying you to not come in here prepare, you know? And they're like, well, you don't have your lyrics. I'm like, don't. That, that's not <laughs> that's not how it happens because I'm in right. there I'm in there yeah. singing, and they're not you're not reacting to the lyric because yes. even if I did have my lyrics you're not going to react to those lyrics you're going to react to the the emotion on. Can we stop for of the, one of second? The re- of the song. Because you are
0: the goddamn boss. You're the <laughs> prince of Candlebox, okay? <laughs> you okay. can fucking do whatever the goddamn fuck you want cuz you're the prince of Candlebox. So if you want to come in and just go like listen, you, you Metallica, one of the greatest selling bands of all time. If you listen to any of their demos, it's Wa, na 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 you think fucking Jason yeah. Neustadt was like, oh, I don't know what na" means? No, he came <laughs> in and played sad but true and shut the fuck up because he didn't need to know because he's not Cliff Burton. Yeah.
4: Yeah. There's a uh, yeah. There's a great, great documentary uh, Jason Hook put out called Hired Gun, um, which oh, yeah. is, is the best kind of peek behind the curtain in terms of, of that whole situation. And it goes and it goes. Yeah, it goes into great depth about you know the division of labor and and the responsibilities of an artist versus you know the supporting musicians and and it, the uh, the dynamic is it's pretty incredible because you know on, on one hand you know being an artist is is a pressure and and, and uh, a responsibility and a, r- a risk yes. that I never ever want to handle <laughs> 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 uh, and being a in demand. Hired gun is a pressure that is very high because you need to be immaculate and you need to make sure that your boss and the artist is supported and they sound the best they possibly can and and it's it's a it's a really strange dynamic that I think a lot of people outside the industry don't necessarily get to get a peek of but it's fascinating you know well, I love seeing it you're
2: you're absolutely right I mean listen. That's why best supporting actor is generally always the best category when it comes to film, with the Oscars, mm-hmm. because your supporting cast—if you're the lead singer of the band—you know, it, it, your supporting cast is so much more important than you are, uh, um, because they allow you to be the artist that you're supposed to be, and I—and and that's what I say when I talk about every musician being able to play everybody else's part when they're working together is that's because you're there to support that person. You're not just Wait, there to play your part. Who's the supporting, who's the supporting actor in rush? <laughs> well, that would, that would be Alex Lison and, and um, Neil Perk because Getty basically, you know, was the front man saying every single song, but not only it, playing his, bass, but he's playing the his, keys, his
0: bass pedals and his keys that are the lead is his lead being supported. No, him. Cause i I've, Okay, so so basically, the, I got it. All right, now I know the hierarchy. Continue. I'm sorry. I just needed. I just needed <laughs> to understand your metaphor. I was trying to put the synapses to the together. The right, the right,
2: and I want, on right I want to know emphasis, who's being yeah, yeah.
0: supported, how, and what this dynamic is because I don't get. Yes, it. because
2: because Getty because Getty was singing. His voice is is. I mean, listen. There are people that walk around singing. You know. Uh, uh, melody on guitar, you know, or they, you know, they're, they're doing air drums, but generally 99.9% of the time, somebody that you encounter is going to be singing the lyrics of the song, whatever their favorite song is, or, or whatever's on the radio. In that case, Getty would be the lead actor. He's not writing the lyrics, but he is the voice of Neil's lyrics. And then as a band, they're writing the songs together. Getty was the, was the main songwriter of Rush. Um, when it came to musical elements of it, but uh, the lyrics were written by Neil. But Getty is the actor playing out Neil's lyrics, which makes makes Alex and and Neil the supporting cast of Getty.
3: Coming back to your songwriting process, um, at what point do the lyrics come into play for you? Um, Because I'm interested how you know, how that, that comes to you after. So it's after sort of the music is, is primarily written. At at what point do you start focusing your energy on the lyrics or does, how does that happen for you?
2: Well, per record, it's been different um, up until uh, love stories and other musings, which was the record we did after uh, end of the sun. So love stories and other musings was recorded in 2011 Um, with the first album. Of course, you know, we were writing and practicing every single day. So I was writing lyrics as, as the band was was um, writing songs. I didn't have all of Far Behind written until we went to the studio to record it. And then the, the lyrics came to me as the second verse and, uh, and the outro uh, of the song came to me that way. Um, generally for me, it's always, I let the music kind of dictate to me what it wants me to sing. Like I mentioned earlier with Trip. I knew that that playful guitar part because it made me think of my wife that I had to sing about that. And then the way it felt made me feel like, yeah, that's she kind of tripped me up when I met her. And now we're going on like 20 years together. It's kind of crazy. So that's how it develops. And I'll write, I'll, I'll make it a little note like a trip or I'll be like, I've got like two or three lines from it. Um, and then what also happens is when the recording is going on and I'm doing the Stream of consciousness for melody and working through the song, there will be key words that your brain taps into that gives you what the song is going to be about. Um, so, like a song like "Nothing Left to Lose," um, when we were tracking that song, this is off of the Wolves record, I sang it like Lemmy Killmeister because I love Motorhead. But I was just going <laughs> so, so, so. So I was doing that right, and but I had. When when I went back to listen to it, when I knew I had to write lyrics for it, the first thing I heard was "I'm attempted murder," right? So I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting way to look at uh, a human being, like being a human being. Uh, I, I'm I'm I have nothing left to lose. I'm all these dark sides of everything we're experiencing." And so I wrote the first line: "I'm attempted murder. Can't you see the signs?" Of course. Um, uh, I don't know it's a fucking uh, I can't even remember the rest of it now but (laughs) but like, so in the process of when it was time for me to do the vocals very much like Dave Grohl's Sonic Highways when he did that where he doesn't write the lyric until the song's done the song will dictate to you what it wants you to say if you're in tune with it that's why I've never really had writer's block um, because I don't sit around and write for hours Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I just when it's ready for me to do it and I mean, I'm sure there's some bad songs I've done, you know, um, there's probably songs that I could have sung differently and had different lyrics for, but I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And I want the music to speak to me the way I want to speak to my audience. And that's what I love about Candlebox.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. No, I mean, I- I'm an instrumentalist. So I'm always fascinated by how vocalists and, and singers in particular, you know, write their lyrics. Cause I'm, I'm also in a band called Starset, and I hear Dustin, oh, our yeah. singer, it does a similar thing where it's like, he's, Coming, has an idea and he's got the voice. moment. it's like some sort of gibberish words that you know, there's no lyric at all, and he's doing some sort of melody. And Siobhan. then down the line, it turns into something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember my head how just that
0: started. Blew up. I just realized. So Rush writes about math. Right, their songs are technical, but then they have like song like subdivisions, and you're like, so is Neil Pert writing for Getty, or is Getty responding to Neil? Daddy's yeah,
2: responding to Neil the same as yeah, that I, one with Bernie Toffin
0: which is why I love what you just told me because now it it the cycle of all of it and just so you know like as a guy that I, I consider myself a songwriter I always write to the music like I can't even possibly think of writing to the lyric because it comes to me like when I listen to it I just know what's gonna be good for me yeah. to then serve it afterwards but so do you go in go like the way you write I love it because it's like the universe is feeding it to you like do you just go in and you know like oh that's gonna be good to write over You've just set me up where I can just go in and I can fucking take it from here. Like you feel it yeah. in your, in right it, here. You know.
2: Like I said, your your heart's going to tell you what to do. I mean, you know, like Elton John. You keep, keep thinking about Bernie Topin wrote all the lyrics, and Elton's reacting. So a song like uh, "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," I mean, or my favorite uh, Elton John song,
0: brilliant. "And Love Lies I mean, Bleeding."
2: How yeah, and, and Daniel. I mean, all these beautiful songs. And Bernie wasn't gay. Bernie just wrote lyrics, and Elton is gay and said, "This feels like this to me," and he wrote the music to it. That's brilliant shit, man. I mean, that's like that doesn't happen very often. And not you know compare Candlebox to Elton John or you know or or Rush or anything. But when you have that, when you allow yourself to be that vulnerable as an artist, I think that's when you write your best material. That's why I'm going to be interested to see what Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, next record is going to sound like with all the shit that's going on with him and Brody. But, um, you know, Josh Homme is one of those artists that can do anything. I mean, from Caius to Queens to Vultures and back to Queens and all these, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but no one knows that, that song is 20 fucking years old. You know, that's, that's crazy. No one knows that. And it's so, it's so (laughs) contemporary and it's so brilliant. And, and, you know, he was, Josh Homme is one of those musicians, man. That um, God just never lets anybody tell him what to do. There have been some shitty fucking songs, but uh, all in all, as as a musician, as a songwriter, as a as a, a producer of of an art form, I you know, Josh is one of my favorite of all times.
0: That's amazing. It's it's incredible to hear you kind of like. Uh, just all I hear is pressure just like Corey said like all the, <laughs> yeah. the problem all I can think about is all these problems because you're a guy that came up with these amazing songs and you are the thing that carries it all right you know what I mean yeah. but it's not like you're the uh, the Mike Tramp of White Lion you are the heart just, yeah. the, yeah. you, don't, you don't have the veto to in the same way you know what I mean Like you are for me like when I see you I think Candlebox and like that's so important to me and the fact is You're hiring these guys, but like it's such a double-edged sword because first off, we're in a crazy world where like, can you tour? Can you go places? Are you allowed to do this? And like there's people relying on you, whether it's people who are your crew and all this sort of stuff. Like the amount of things, like just talking to Siobhan's bass player in star set, the last thing he does, and certainly the easiest slash (laughs) simplest thing he
2: does is play bass in the band.
0: Literally, (laughs) like the amount of logistics he does is fucking insane. (laughs)
2: But they're a great band and they're busy and the, i mean there's those parts are challenging I mean my guys you know Brian and Island, these two guitar players that play with me um it, i wouldn't you know I wouldn't want to fill Peter Klett's shoes. My guitar player for our first three records is uh I put him in the same categories as a david Gilmore as a as a Jerry cantrell so as sick. A, um I mean, as a Nuno Bencourt, Peter Klett is one of the most underrated guitar players um, in the history of rock and roll music. And um, so for the fact that the the fact that Island and Brian are willing to step into those shoes and take that on is um, it's such an honor for me to play with them, that they feel respect enough to try and produce. I mean, they both have jc120s these rolling jc120 apps because that was peter's sound for the first three box records so they have them and they own them they bought them to sound like him that's a, that's a fucking respectful thing man you know and and I love these man. guys for that. Uh, Wait I would till not I want f- to do that.
4: Kempers, you can just download that profile right there. <laughs> well, no, but we, we've, <laughs> talked, we've talked about kidding, Kempers. Kidding and, kidding,
2: and No, no, but, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, because of what I'm doing right now as a band and being the, the, the business, it would be way cheaper for me to buy both of them Kempers to not have any fucking amps on stage and no cabs. But I'm old school, man. Like, I, we run monitors. It's loud as shit. When you go see Candlebox... Our stage is loud. We do it. A, when we do these festivals, you can't hear any vocals. You can't hear any guitars. You hear the drums. You might hear a little bit of something because none yeah. of these bands have gear on stage. Mm-hmm. We're we're on that show. You fucking hear us on stage. We're loud as shit <laughs> because that's what we I want to be in a rock and roll band, you know, and it would be cheaper for me to buy these guys Kempers, but I want to step back there in front of Brian's Marshall rig and put my head in that speaker. And there's pictures
4: of me Hold doing on. it. Because I wanna bend. why do you derail right the I'm greatest gonna, things I'm ever? Gonna,
0: <laughs> I'm going to blow your mind. Hold on. You can buy the Kemper, you buy a radial box, and then you get a whole wall of Marshalls left over from Carrie King or it's Yngwie Mounstein, and then you can just it's put it through same. all
2: of them at once. It's not the same. All at
0: once. It could be for it's real.
2: Not, it's not the same. It's not a tube. And I can, and I can hear that difference. Sonically, I can hear it
0: that's that's completely admirable and i think tone's a real thing so
2: (laughs) but i mean i'm an idiot because i should just go (laughs) no you're not who cares what i'm hearing because the audience isn't hearing what i'm hearing but i'm the one that's feeling the air move from those fucking cabs from a class a or a class b you know 50 Mm -hmm. watt marshall amp
4: Yeah, and that's what your fans have come to expect and that's what they deserve you know that's like i said that's you know, there's not many things that make a band stand out nowadays. And the first no. thing, you know, jumping around, you know, I, I have my Spotify up on on my studio, one of my studio monitors all the time. because I like to listen and reference and everything and listen to my monitors and just popping on candle blocks immediately. It was like, oh, this is, this is different than the things I've been listening to. It, it has that like real sound. The drums are, they're pushing and pulling with The vocals and with the guitar and everything it's just there's like a movement that is not it's very different than than most of what you hear as far as releases are coming out right now and trust me i love i love super produced music i you know as a producer i'm i'm super anal about going in and making sure that every part is is super locked in and there's a place for that but it's super refreshing and it's great to hear that natural organic band in a room sound so that's what yeah. makes it special is that you know you don't have to be the same band with the Kemper on stage you can be the guys with the loud you know amps and and, and piss off the sound guy because of the bleed it's good whatever <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah yeah I mean you know listen it's it's rock and roll I, I have a saying it's called rock and roll look it up because it the the problem what's happened is I, I you know and I, I I kind of always go back to you know, being a 12 year old kid at a dead Kennedy show is the danger of rock and roll is gone. And, 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 you know, it's, it's like, it's supposed to piss people off. It's supposed to fuck with the system. It's supposed to make you think it's supposed to challenge your opinions. It's supposed to have a political stance. It's supposed to make you feel like, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I should, or, or this is exactly what I'm feeling. And this person understands it. And I, there's so much candy out there. I, you know, I've said it a million times. Like there's, there's like 75,000 vanilla ice creams. Where's the Neapolitan? You know what I mean? I love a Neapolitan. I want a little strawberry and chocolate. I don't just want vanilla. Yeah. Okay. You've got vanilla seed. Where's the seed from? Oh, it's from Panama. Big fucking deal. It's still vanilla ice cream and that's the problem you know and we've played with a lot of these bands over the past few years and and i'm friends and you know i'm friends with a lot of these young guys i'm friends with a lot of guys that, that are playing in these hugely successful bands that candlebox is opening for and they're not doing anything that the other bands aren't doing i mean seether i love them because sean is a drunk mess and he (laughs) he'll try and get sober and then he'll write a record that is so visceral and he's so fucked up. And I love him so much. I mean, we played a show with them. I got to tell this story. So we just played with them this past summer and uh, you know, we're all trying to stay away from COVID. And I, I toured with, with um, Cedar through Europe in 2005 with my band, the Watts. And they were generous enough to take us over to, to Europe with them and let us use their gear and stuff. And, and I love them and I will love them forever, forever for that. So we play the show with them in in, um, New Jersey. And Sean's like, so good to see you. How have you been? Call me. Let's do something. And then we're playing with them two weeks later. (laughs) Two weeks later, I'm walking in and say, hey, man, I called you. He's like, oh, hey, what's up? I'm like, two weeks ago, you told me to call you. (laughs) You don't remember having a conversation with me. Of course he doesn't because he's Sean. (laughs) and it's either and he's out of his fucking mind and i love that about him he's the only one like that that's doing anything different in that genre of and, and i'm speaking of you know that's that's everybody that's on rock radio right now i mean you know it's shine down lizzie hale or hailstar uh evanescence whatever i mean if you modern rock radio yeah well, star set I don't know. Well, no, really you you
4: just listed off bands that were on rock radio ten years ago. Have you been Have you been <laughs> listening to anything? Evanescence. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe well,
3: not. Well, no. But we've been uh, uh, down Lizzie Hailstorm,
4: Hale Yeah, I mean, those Hailstorm. are a lot of. The, yeah. no, are on rock
3: radio. Yeah, they
4: are. Not with new stuff. Yeah.
3: What?
2: Yeah. Um, what are you listening to? I mean, I'm. I don't I listen to the radio. Up
4: I worked in radio ten years ago. That's what I heard.
2: See you. You're good. You're good. You. You're I was good. hearing,
0: I, I feel like I was hearing Henry Rollins through you because one of the things, the only thing better than Black Flag for me is Henry <laughs> Rollins' oration, right? Like, the, his, uh, like, everything he's said, you know what I mean? Like, the blueprints for the destruction of the world is actually a track on one of his fucking ramblings. Yeah. And, like, and he's, he's right. been saying this. He's been right since day one. And listening to you kind of get a little bit nihilistic, like, I'm like, ah, oh, there's the Henry Rollins influence. Because I'm like, <laughs> I, everything you're saying, I'm like, he's right. Roads burning. Laugh about it. It's like that movie Don't Look Up. Like, wow. oh, yeah, we're all just going to fucking die.
3: It's no, obvious. but it's true. I I, I totally well, relate. I, yeah, well, I I love what you're saying though. Is that you need like you, it, it, a lot of things do feel very vanilla, you know? And like just today, I was a stupid story, but I was up in the gym and some. Asshole brought in like a big loudspeaker to play this like god awful music, and I was I was like I'm and I was talking to the girl next to me. I was like, this is so terrible. I was like, what happened to good hip hop? Like, there's no melody anymore, and there's no rhythm. Everything is like da 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 and the same thing. And like this guy like heard me and like took his speaker away. But I mean, really, like a lot of the times, I I feel that that's the case. It's like it's you're so hard pressed to find somebody that's that's like the renegade, like doing something. Siobhan you know, bullying it's, it's people because- at the gym. Wrong
4: with
2: you? Well, I mean, I think I think. thing is the the responsibility rests on the listeners shoulders right but unfortunately we've become you know and i'm he's mentioned nihilistic it's crazy but we've become a society that relies only on instantaneous gratification right so there's Mm -hmm. no real depth like we talked earlier about opening the vinyl or the cassette and pulling the lyrics out that process we all grew up on right i'm i'm 52 years old i don't i don't know how old you guys are but i'm assuming you're in your 30s or 40s Um, that process of 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 only having something physical in your hands doesn't exist anymore. Our physical our physical life is this thing that I'm you know I'm touching and looking at and, and you know and messages are coming in and I'm swiping them as we're having a conversation. The 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 approach towards appreciation of of the art or the cra- the, the creative craft of art is gone by the wayside because we don't want to dig anymore. That's why music is becoming so vanilla because everybody's just hoping for a hit single, which will give them a little bit of love. This Aaron Jones kid that's from Seattle. I know you guys have heard of him. I've played with him seven times this year. There's, he is the foundation. He's living, breathing Seattle. He's from Seattle. He's a young a musician that has so much fucking soul and so much passion. And he's opened every one of these fucking festivals I play. And he's better and his band's better than the headliners. We played with him in, in St. Louis and offspring was a headliner and Aaron Jones played at four o'clock and destroyed that stage fucking destroyed it. And, and I love Dexter and, and, you know, I mean, I've known the offspring since, Nineteen ninety-three. I mean, we toured with them. We played shows with them. I I know those guys. Great friends. It's it's paint by numbers now for that. You know, I mean, even though their last record actually was really really good, and I and I was, I was super excited to listen to it, and and I and I loved what what they had created, but that's not what they're playing live. I mean, mm. they're playing what everybody loves, and they're the headliner, and they get you know 150,000 dollars to play. Aaron Jones plays for you know. 4,000 people at that 20,000 capacity venue for 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. And he owned that fucking stage and he owned it every night and he blew us away. And I've been doing this shit for fucking 30 years. And I still believe that my performance should be like Aaron's and so that's how I approach it. He's better, That's, I mean, but we've lost this kind of, we've lost the love of the danger of rock and roll. And it's supposed to be dangerous and it's supposed to destroy shit. And, you know, Billy Joe's meltdown at I Heart festival years ago, which everybody fucking talked about when he was saying, you, I got one minute left. Go fuck yourself. He was right. He got sober because of it, which I wouldn't have done. I, you know, I mean, I've had my meltdowns on stage <laughs> and fuck that. I don't have to apologize for anything. Five finger death punch. I'm saying this on your podcast. When they apologized about that lead singer melting down in Memphis, the mm-hmm. street festival, I tweeted. It's like, guns and roses never fucking apologize don't you your name is 5 Finger death punch what are you apologizing for don't do it so your audience is pissed off in memphis they'll forget about it you guys had a shitty show don't fucking apologize you're five-finger death punch hey yeah. you're sorry our singer had a bad night go fuck yourselves don't apologize your audience will understand yeah. and if they love you yeah yeah. Who the fuck cares? You got paid two hundred thousand dollars to play that fucking what, show. What's that band? Yeah. Like she yeah, fucking hates to it, me. it at
4: that point. Yeah, if Hold you on, to what's, what's the,
0: the, who, Who's that fucking dude? West Scatlin or whatever his name is. Like wait, what's the, the Puddle band? Bunchy? Puddle One. Do you apologize for that guy? Cause I feel like I've seen some stuff and like they're just letting that it's like cause there's a few bands, okay? That dude and then Days of the New. Okay, that guy yeah. has some serious fucking Tries, problems. Man. Like tra- I, I I've seen them live, and the dude's literally the craziest mental case. Like Axel Rose times a thousand, and like I don't yeah. understand how that's even happened. Like, do you apologize for those guys?
2: Do you apologize no. at
0: that level? no No. all right that's great i love that never surrender
2: Corey hart rock listen man exactly Corey hart i love Corey hart rock and roll music is this guy right here is a perfect example of what it's supposed to be you that's i don't need to apologize to you if i have a bad show and you don't fucking like it i'm sorry i'm human guess what that's what Mm -hmm. fucking happens this is the rock
0: and roller that that it's supposed to be for me
2: yeah, Charlie. I mean, it's you know he's the, the one for me. Just say that's the fucking and and he, those stories of him. You know when Mick Jagger's knocking on his you know hotel room. Where's my drummer? Punches him in the face. I'm not your fucking drummer. You're my singer. You know, and that's that's real shit. That's rock and roll music, and that doesn't exist anymore. And it's not to say that these bands aren't making great music. Shine Down's last record was fucking awesome. Lizzie Hailstorm. I mean, great band. Ben, Breaking Benjamin. When do you stop trying to, you know, I guess appease your audience? And when what I loved was I did an interview with um with Brent from Shinedown, I want to say five years ago, that record, uh, I forget what it was called. They did it, uh, they, they wrote everything themselves. It was the first time that they'd written an entire record by themselves. And it's not that they're not capable of it, because they're a great band and i i do love them and i think that they've written some amazing songs but it's the first time that they actually ventured into the world to write by themselves yes yeah yeah and uh and i did a west like i was on that tour
3: yeah we toured with (laughs) them on that album yeah
2: and and i sat with brent i said so how does it feel to be solely responsible for this album and he was like what do you mean and i said well it's all on your shoulders if it doesn't sell you wrote the songs like, you guys wrote everything. I mean, there may have been one song on that record, where they wrote with somebody else, which their whole career has been songwriting with other songwriters, which is fine, you know, in that world. But he was like, I never really thought of it that way. And I'm like, well, I just want to know. I mean, you're, I'm here to interview you. And what's it be like to take that responsibility on? Because it's a challenge. When you have to be solely responsible for the success or failure of your fucking record." To your audience that's a challenge and it's hardcore and it can be and it can be it can be heartbreaking when that record doesn't sell yeah and i don't think that record sold for them
4: Phantom to the wolves when yeah. when you have a, a band even even like shinedown uh you know who, who's had longevity and especially you know candle blocks you know you guys have been around forever when you have a, a new record like how do you break down uh, I guess the results of of a release because you guys, bands <laughs> especially no well just just to put this out there bands especially like you, you have this, I'm sure a core audience that yeah. is thousand people that that well <laughs> hey those thousand people. <laughs> they're fucking awesome They'll Buy right? everything you do so, yeah, yeah. so you have that but there's like layers right you have like those people then you have the outer layer that that's you know been with it for the hits and then you have the people that might catch the radio songs so like how do you look at that element of the business of being Candlebox box when you put out a record
2: i still don't care i mean i i you know it, it's caution to the wind for me i mean it always has been i'm I'm with pavement entertainment which is they have um uh that plush uh the the girl band plush. They're on our label, which is I mean on, uh, you know, whatever pavement entertainment is what yeah. it's called. They I think they have puddle mud as well. Um a hard that's a hard question to answer. Um I throw caution the wind just because I don't give a shit. I I I make a living. Um I didn't get into to uh music to be a rock star. I, I, of course if it came with the you know with the title then great. That was awesome. Um, I, I've only ever known music. That's all I've known it, it, from mm. from the youngest of Kevin Martin to the oldest of Kevin Martin. It's all I have. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I've never followed a trend. I've never tried to write a single. I've never concerned myself with, you know, being friends with any other successful band, um, uh, aligning myself with people that, you know, can influence a crowd or take Candlebox, box. I've never, I don't give a shit, man. I, I make what I want to make. And I love bands that do that. You know? Uh, I mean, if you look, if you look at my playlist on my phone, it's, it's all over the fucking place. There's a band from Australia. I love called gang of youths. Um, they, they missed on the last record. They're back with this new record. That's brilliant. Um, Band of Horses is one of my favorite bands. They have their first number one fucking record uh, in 20 years of being a band right now. Uh, Manchester Orchestra is oh, a band yeah, I love I, I love. Star Set, we've played with Star Set. Unbelievable band. I mean, that's the thing. That's so creative, what's going on there with that whole screen and all the shit that he's doing. But the band is really fucking good. And Thank they support you. that, and they're all right. That that to me is interesting. They use you know, a lot and, of cameras.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: they do. <laughs> there's a it. reason. There's a reason for that, and in that environment, yeah, Dustin,
0: d- Dustin wa- doesn't want the guitar player to know that he has any power over him whatsoever. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's I, that
4: there's,
3: there's no a vision. That. We, we want to no, re- replicate just, the just album uh, as close no, as possible. No, it's just, just a joke. You know,
4: we, we always or, joke with Siobhan about Yeah, we
2: love to give her a hard. She's married to the guitars. And you should, and you should give her a shit about it being married to a event. <laughs> But no, I mean, it's it's like fans that do tracks and stuff. There's yeah. there's a reason why you do it. You're trying to recreate the sound. That's fine. But if you're vanilla ice cream, it's not. If you're Neapolitan, it's amazing. If you're mint chocolate chip, fuck yeah. If you're peanut butter <laughs> cup, make it fucking magical. Toffee crunch, fucking coffee whatever i mean so it, it all it comes back
4: to ice cream is what you're saying is, is, <laughs>
2: stop trying to fucking be vanilla ice cream i put the ben
0: in ben and jerry's my friend yeah <laughs> i am a cherry <laughs> garcia I, kind I, of
4: guy but I, I think that stop trying to be vanilla ice cream is is, is the real crux of this conversation that is the end of <laughs> you all second, Van
0: going to be so angry.
4: Our second uh, <laughs> hour.
0: We're under pressure, remember that? Oh. Holy shit, it's
2: a giant David Bowie
3: queen
0: joke.
2: bum, 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 <laughs> bum, 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 bum.
3: Right? <laughs> yes. I feel like we've referenced that on this podcast before. That was oh, vanilla. yeah, we definitely that was, have.
2: See, that, that's the vanilla bean. That's not vanilla. So he had the bean in there. It, so. It's the most
0: expensive spice in the world, if anyone didn't oh. know that. Not saffron. <laughs>
2: misconception. Oh, well, yeah. It's true. Saffron's second.
4: <laughs> and here we are.
2: Uh, and
3: here we are. <laughs> 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 go get Guys, the adults. end of yet another yeah, hour. Candlebox,
2: please. Yeah. Just listen to it. I don't give a fuck if you buy it. Just stream it.
3: As someone that didn't listen to Candlebox ever before, I absolutely love it, and I agree with everything that everyone Thank said. You. I mean, it's, yeah, a really powerful record. It's. I encourage everybody to go buy it, listen to it, support you, support Crank the Crank that
2: shit. Thank you. And if you could figure out what I was drinking when I sang Los Angeline, I'll send you a bomb.
3: <laughs> all right.
4: Wow. I, i'll Maybe take that we'll put as a challenge a happily yeah. uh and uh i just real quick before we go uh and this is just because i was doing a little research and, and i saw in a previous interview you you were gonna start a podcast at some point are you doing that are you i doing am that?
2: yeah but i i i've been asked by sirius xm to do it on their um on their service so oh, yeah it's nice.
3: amazing podcasts, yeah.
2: See. Yeah. what's it called it's called rock and roll look it up yeah. All
3: right. <laughs> Love that. So, that's, well, uh, 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 that's what it's
2: called. It's 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 the, the the it is like this. Hey, everybody, welcome to It's Called Rock and Roll Look It Up. I'm Kevin Martin, your host, Cattlebox, and this is what we're doing tonight. Is and that out now or is that No, I'm actually we're just building it now with the with, uh, Sirius XM. I, I, I pitched see. it to a podcast service and then and somebody from Sirius got a hold of it and was like, Hey, uh we want that on Sirius and I'm like, Cool.
4: Hell yeah, man! Wait a minute. That's great. So, in
2: the
0: line of Alice Cooper and Sammy Hagar and Ronnie Van Zant, like we're gonna get Kevin Martin, bro? Because like I love listening to Alice Cooper, like very calmly, be like, oh yeah. And it was in 1980 when Electric Light Orchestra. Like he's just so calm. He's like, I'm gonna go play golf tomorrow. By the way, I used to cut off my head. Like, oh, is that what we get? It? Are we getting that? Or are we getting like full on rock and roll? I used to Kevin? cut off my
2: head. No, you have. You have. You he still have, cuts off uh, his head no you'll have the rock and roll cabinet because what it is is that the the saying is it's called rock and roll look it up we're here to celebrate the good the bad and the absolutely ugly of rock and roll music and what it is is it's basically conversations with musicians and artists and people that uh they're going to give me their five favorites two songs that they think are ugly and and uh and one song they think is absolutely the worst song they've ever heard and can't understand why it was successful but we want to dig into uh, what music's about and and that process. And so some of my guests are super interesting, uh, all musicians that, uh, you know, from Blind Melon all the way to Alice in Chains. So it's going to be,
4: um, it's going to be pretty fun. Please cool. tell me you're going to have Shannon on there.
2: Shannon
0: Larkin. He's not talking about Shannon who. Because Shannon who was the lead singer. Shannon Larkin.
3: Yes. Do we have a Ouija Larkin. board for Shannon who? Like, I mean, there's I, I, rain
4: our today. Mutual <laughs> bro. Our mutual In friend Seattle. Shannon Larkin. The reason I mean,
3: we have you on this <laughs> podcast, yes. Shannon Larkin, our dear friend. By the way,
2: for everybody who doesn't know, Shannon Larkin, when he played with Candlebox, and I don't know if he told you guys the story, and and I know that you said we've run out of time, but I hope you're still recording. We're and roll man so shannon comes in to play with us uh my manager at the time was john reese who you know man, was managing guns and roses with doug uh, uh machine head he had so many bands at the time that he was working with uh, i think he was managing uncle Kid joe as well uh i needed a drummer dave cruzan um had quit and was you know leaving Candlebox after all the shit that went, went on with the Half record and um, John's like, I got this drummer for you. You're gonna love him. And I was like, I love snot. I didn't know Shannon had hearing loss. So he shows up the first day he'd been practicing. Uh, we worked through you know, a few of the songs, it's going great. We get to uh, start working on you and it just doesn't feel right. And we run through it and I walk back and I was like, Hey man, so listen, uh, it's a six, eight, but it's a shuffle feel it's got this push on the on the kick that happens with the back side of the snare. And you got to kind of go through the whole thing. He's not looking at me. <laughs> I'm like standing next to, I'm standing next to him. I was like, Hey Shannon. So like, you know, can we talk about it? Like it's a push and you know, it's like, and, he's, and he turns and he goes, Oh, Hey God, didn't see you there. It's like, so listen, I've lost like 30% of my hearing this year and 40 in this year. I was like, this is going to be interesting because <laughs> Candlebox is all dynamic. And Shannon came from that world of just bah, bah, bah. like, there's no, there's no, I mean, Godsmack even for that yeah. matter is there's really the dynamic is not much. He's aggressive. Is, he's aggressive. <laughs> and he was like, what the fuck? And I said, like, so he asked me, he goes, can you show me how to play it? And I was like, yeah, I sat down and, it, and he was just like, oh, it's all ghosts. And I was like, yeah, it's all ghosts. You just got to drag that fucking snare, just drag it, drag it, and you're going to reach over to a bell here, and then you're going to reach over here. And And he was like, oh my God, we're going to have so much fun. And that tour (laughs) that we did was an absolute blast because he was, he focused so hard on what I needed from him. And I think it was the first time in his career as a drummer and first time as a singer working with a drummer like that where our connection was so tight, and 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 I love that kid so fucking much, man. Like he got up and played with us two years ago, uh, in in uh, uh, I don't know where were we in, but um, somewhere in in uh, Florida, I can't remember the fucking town. And he got up and played with me, and he hadn't played ten thousand horses in like, well shit. At that point, it would have been yeah, twenty years, two thousand eighteen, so uh, eighteen years, and he fucking played it exactly right he he sat at home relearned it yep played it perfectly and he mm-hmm. played it in front of you know two thousand people and they were all like oh my god i was like ladies and gentlemen shannon larkin from god's back and they're like Growl. it went fucking nuts <laughs> but it was uh for, it was fort myers florida yep. he oh, was, yeah and, uh, list, he lives yeah. right around
4: there yeah yep
2: and he just he killed it but like our our connection on that tour when he played with me was not only something for me to learn from, but for him to learn from, it. and I think that we we just became the best of fucking friends on that. And I love that kid from the bottom of my fucking heart. I, you, know, you know, I, I can have a black believe heart
3: that he's an amazing human. He, yeah,
0: he flew me down to Florida. I went down and Jan with him in the Apocalypse Blues Revival. And let me just tell you, so like he can't hear shit without his things in. Like I, I, I hanging out no. with Shannon's amazing. But one of the things that's amazing is that he's so passionate. He'll be like, man, it's like boom, boom but and, and he does it to a point where like, if you're not a musician, you're like, oh, this guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, And he is. He is crazy. He's pretty crazy. But then yeah. he be like, he's no, 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 hold on, hon, no, 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 dude, you got to do the boom, da, da, da. And like, he'll look at you like you're supposed to know what he's talking about. And, like, and then he'll look back and you're like, dude, you just nailed it. And you're yeah. like, what? I nailed it. <laughs> he's like, yeah.
2: Great, supporting machine. great, sporting, is he, a- great sporting actor.
0: There we Cause go. he's one of those guys that he literally, <laughs> he doesn't have to hear you. He's literally like, he's
2: actually projecting yeah. himself he's, into your mind. He's rock so and roll incarnate. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I was mentioning <laughs> earlier about musicians that, that play every other, every other person's part, that's what Shannon, I think learned from me was I was like, listen, you're not just here to play drums. You have to support this entire band. And I, I, you don't know any of these fucking cocksuckers but you have to know this and you have to learn it. And what can I do? And he's like, just keep, just keep turning around and looking at me and talking me through it. And I'll learn everybody else. And that tour we did, which, I mean, it was just Pete and I with three new musicians. I mean, it was fantastic. We did two nights at the Fillmore in San Francisco sold out. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was worth it, but I love Shannon. And um, uh, just such a deserved human being musically. I mean, and, and, Career-wise, he—he's a—he's a, got a soul unlike. Um, most of us in this music business have, and yeah. I fucking love him so much.
4: I believe he's an executive producer on this show. Actually, I think that's yeah, <laughs> the, he, he got that lie. title. i at the end yes, of this. I think <laughs> he's a, I think I'm, he's actually.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think. I I think it's even broader than that, Kevin. I think not just the music business. I think that he's like a great example of a human being on this planet because yeah, he's a, a very picture, empathetic just, person. because yeah, if you go to like if you go to his house, because I've been lucky enough where he's like let me into his world. He like takes care of like, and I mean like takes care of like very empathetically and on understanding. understanding like a bunch of turtles and other (laughs) reptiles and he has bonsai (laughs) trees but like other like Indig- like crazy, like uh, stuff flora. That he's like, dude, this is from Africa. I raised this from here, and like, it's all like requires certain tem- temperatures and pHs. He's like, I got a, I got a stream guy that's coming over today who's gonna tend to the baby turtles, and like, and he, he's just got his own little studio that's separate. Like, and all he does, like, and just so you guys know, like, he watches horror movies. Like, I, I, I I'm, I'm a fucking, I'm a fucking <laughs> asshole. So like, I went through his, because I found a severed head in the room I was staying at <laughs> yeah. so I started looking through some of the stuff and he has all these magazines well not magazines but notebooks and they're all written in like psychopathically small perfect handwriting and you find out that they're all reviews of horror films and that he can't <laughs> and he explained to me the next day he's like oh well Benny I can't remember all the horror films but if I remember like the best kill or if I remember like what's the plot <laughs> turn or whatever and he has his own like little glyphs and oh he has God. literally an entire fucking shelf we're gonna have, shelf. To have him
4: back on the show just to no, talk yeah next,
0: to a, to, next to a legit here. severed head a legit no. severed head like I'm, I'm serious like bones of a dead person and he's got all these fucking things and it's all just horror reviews to his 10,000 DVDs he never went to Laserdisc he never went no. to VHS stopped at DVDs and he's got them all and he wrote them all out because he's a
2: psychopath he's a Jesse Pinkman <laughs> of Rockland yeah and
3: yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man so good all right well listen kevin thank you so much for hanging with us tonight you know it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure, you know burning through a couple hours with you (laughs) yeah thank you you know obviously check out wolves the record's amazing check out you know the entire catalog you know like i said i had the pleasure of just kind of going through today and and skimming through the years and and the songs are just solid it's a great just, you, you can absolutely just immerse yourself in them. So make absolutely. sure everyone goes, checks out. Um, and we'll to stay tuned for your podcast. It, whenever, it, whenever it's yeah. ready to go, shoot us a message. We'll be sure to promote it. And uh, whenever you want to come back and hang out anytime, we'd love to have you
2: my pleasure thanks guys
3: thank, you. Right, it's thank it's you so nice much. to meet you yeah nice to meet you too yeah, thank am I you supposed so to do my end rant am I supposed to like did.
4: bring it like all back you already did like levels dude. of
3: rants do it, tonight do it, so. do it man do it well because I was going to
1: tell bro. you <laughs> that in 1998
0: <laughs> oh,
4: God. you played Go a giant festival
0: you played a giant festival called Loco Bazooka for WAF in Boston yes and I worked with a guy named Dan Hartwell who's been on this show and I remember thinking to myself that you were the it was I think it was 98 you were like the band that I was like oh my god I'm actually excited to see Candlebox because I hadn't seen you yet I was still like checking off like okay Metallica like and I needed to see Candlebox and I remember I had seen you I walked backstage you weren't wearing shoes I said this to Shane who's yeah, the yeah. Apocalypse Blues and he's like oh yeah no that's accurate and I remember I think we went onto your bus I was with my buddy Giuseppe he worked at the radio station and I said something like I can't Get high, and because oh, I couldn't at the time, I didn't think I could get high, and I got super, super, super fucking high on your bus. And they, but I was—I said I wasn't high because I didn't feel high. But you guys kept looking at me and saying, "No, you're high." I'm like, "I don't think I'm high." You're like, "Kid, you're high," and that was literally my first rock and roll look it up fucking experience <laughs> in my entire life, dude.
2: So thank you, thank you for you're that. Welcome. My pleasure. I'm so happy we got you high for the first time. <laughs> you did.
3: You really did. He, he hasn't started stopped him down the path yeah. that has
4: led him to this, so that's, yeah. that's where yeah. we're at right now.
3: Yeah. We're all back here well, together. Have me back,
2: anytime. have me back anytime, would you please because this it is about be, I love you too? No, it would be our pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so
3: much for being here.
4: Thank you as always for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit two zero two zero-d dot com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 120 featuring Ron bumblefoot Thal of Art of Anarchy, Asia, Sons of Apollo, and formerly of Guns N' Roses. Check it out. And well, the first thing I heard was...
2: And, and I just never heard that sound before. My ears had never heard anything like that before. I couldn't believe it was a guitar doing that. And it changed my entire way of looking at guitar because before that... I was just um, like hyperactive kind of player. You know, I was Angus Young on excessive amounts of crack.
1: (laughs) This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes A Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurewitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, "Man, I gotta hear that!" Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris makes a podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts and new episodes come out every Monday.